Our reading today is from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Jesus and his disciples went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. I don't know how to pronounce that. Anyway, beginning with G. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Some people have fantastic testimonies, don't they? I mean, today we've just read about a man who's had 2,000 demons or more driven out of him. What a great story he had. It's like people here today who've come from violent crime and or uh, drug trafficking, and they've met Jesus in prison and they've become a Christian. They're really powerful testimonies, and it's really good to hear them. I must admit, my testimony is not quite as powerful as that. I have stolen sweets from Woolworths, I confess. We've all done that, I think. Although I did ask Susan before the, before the service, she hasn't stolen sweets from Woolworths, which I'm not sure I believe, really. I mean, they leave them out, didn't they? They left them out for you to take them, surely. <laughs> I did steal a postcard once from outside a shop in Marseille. That's because I was desperate to send a postcard home to my parents. I'd promised, had no money, so I stole that postcard, I'm afraid. That was on a school trip, and all the school then got called into the police station the following day. 
not because of my postcard, I'm glad to say, but the fifth formers had been nicking radios and televisions. So, but, but I was a nervous wreck thinking, goodness me, the French police are very strict, aren't they, about a postcard? <laughs> the, the best crime I've ever done, that I think, best in inverted commas, was that uh, we had an off-licence where you could get in round the back. So they had a gate that wasn't locked. You can get in round the back and you could take the bottles out of the yard. So we used to take the bottles out of the yard and then take them round to the front of the shop and return them. And you used to get money back. <laughs> so it was money for returning the bottles and that's what we were doing. We were returning the bottles. So I think we made about 3p that day, which was fantastic. And I did, I did get into a, in, in a fight at school once, but again, that didn't last very long because it turned out the other guy was stronger than me, so I just ran off. So, so not really a life of crime, so not a fantastic testimony in that regard. While I'm confessing, Bobby, I've got one more confession. You might have noticed in the car park one of the plant stands has been knocked over. That was me, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, Eco Group, it was dark Wednesday night and I drove into it, I know. I know, driving to church, how bad is that? (laughs) I will fix it sometime. (laughs) So my testimony may not be as powerful as this man that we read about today. And undoubtedly, it's one of the greatest stories in the Bible, isn't it? It's one that we typically know from an early age because it's so powerful. It's difficult to imagine, isn't it, that the pain and the suffering and the torture that that man must have gone through before he met Jesus. So we're told that he had to leave his family, he'd leave his home, and now he was living in the tombs. So even in death, he was living a place with the dead. In Luke's Gospel, we're told that he was naked, so presumably he's ripped his clothes off him, and he has to put up with the extremes of temperature in night and day, as well as the disgrace of being naked. He was a terror to others and he was a threat to himself. So we're told that he was self-harming. He was cutting his flesh with stones. He was unpredictable and uncontrollable. People had tried to restrain him. They put him in chains, but he'd broken the chains away. And in pain and agony, he would cry out both day and night. Now, the description that we get of the man is more like a ferocious animal, isn't it, than than a man who's made in God's image. I think today we might say that the man exhibited many symptoms of extreme psychiatric illness. But he wasn't only suffering mentally and physically, he was also suffering spiritually. He was possessed by unclean spirits, or as we're told, by a whole legion of spirits. I'm sure if we'd come across that man, we would have had compassion for him, but I think we would have also been, certainly many of us, terrified of him as well. Maybe those who knew him tried to restrain him for his own protection, but I think it was also to protect themselves as well. He was a man that most people had given up on. He was beyond help. He was someone who just people wished would go away. And I suspect even when the disciples came with Jesus that they felt the same. They just travelled across the Sea of Galilee where there was a violent storm that Jesus had healed. And now this man comes running towards them. They're in a Gentile area, and there's a Roman garrison nearby. It was an area that respectable Jews wouldn't typically go. But Jesus deliberately set out across the lake to get to this region that I'm not going to try to pronounce. (laughs) So not only was the man physically intimidating, 
but he was also ceremonially unclean for a Jew. He would be someone you wouldn't go near. He was a Gentile living in a Gentile area. He lived among the dead, among the tombstones. He was surrounded by a herd of unclean pigs. He was probably bleeding from open wounds where he'd self-harmed. And he was inhabited, as we know, by impure spirits. Each of those reasons was enough to deny him entry into God's presence. It's difficult to imagine a person less likely to be accepted by God. And yet Jesus comes to him and heals him. He was a man rejected by everyone else, but he was accepted by Jesus. When the man sees him, he rushes down and falls at his feet. Jesus commands the demons, come out of this man. They respond, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. In the boat, as they were crossing over, the disciples had asked, who is this? Even the waves obey him. So the disciples didn't know who Jesus was at that time, but the demons do. They know that he's the Son of God. I do think it's ironic that the demons plead that Jesus doesn't torture them. I think it's ironic because for years they've tortured this poor man, but now they plead with Jesus not to be tortured. Jesus asks the man, what is your name? But again, it's the demons who respond My name is Legion, for we are many. Not only was this man surrounded by the Roman legions, but he was controlled within by a legion of demons. The demons plead with Jesus not to be sent out of the area. Instead, they beg that they're sent into a herd of pigs. Despite the overwhelming strength of so many demons, Jesus expels them with just a word. Jesus had come to defeat the enemies of God, as people hoped, but not in the way they expected. The evil spirits do come out and then go into the pigs, and as we know, as we was read, the herd of about 2,000 pigs rush down the slope into the lake and they're drowned. We're not told explicitly what happens to the demons, but presumably they're destroyed as well. We later read that the man is fully clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it, of a man totally restored and taking up the position of a disciple at Jesus' feet. It's a fantastic miracle where Jesus demonstrates that he's got power over all spiritual forces that are against him. When the demonic meets the divine, it's a no contest. The demons are driven out just at the word of Jesus. Now, in my preparation, I was reading that some people object to this story. They think that what Jesus did was somehow unethical or um, immoral because he drove out demons into the pigs. The pigs were destroyed and so much financial loss for those who owned the pigs. They say that that must have been immoral or unethical. I do find that a very strange argument personally. First of all, Jesus doesn't explicitly command the demons to go into the pigs. It's what the demons plead for and he gives them permission But more importantly, I think it misses the point. The point is that this man's life is worth so much more than any number of pigs and any amount of wealth. Jesus values this man so highly that he's prepared to give his life for him on the cross. Those who witnessed the miracle 
rush off and tell others. I think I'd probably do the same. It's a fantastic story to tell, isn't it? If you've seen this, you want to go and tell other people. I do suspect, though, if, if some of them were the people looking after the pigs, they probably wanted to blame Jesus, make sure no blame was attached to them for losing these pigs. They might have been afraid by the reprisals from the Romans, but whatever the reason, they go off and tell people around. And the people come out to, to see what's happened and to see Jesus. Now, we might have expected their response to be one of praise and thanksgiving, but it's not. We're told that they're even more afraid when they see the man in his right minds. They're more afraid now than they were previously. I don't know about you, but I sometimes think, if only Jesus would do more miracles, if Jesus would show himself more clearly, then a lot more people would come to know him and be saved. But this story tells us that's not always the case. When Jesus reveals himself, when God reveals himself, often people are afraid. They sense fear, and their response is to be left alone. And so the people do actually plead that Jesus leaves the region, that he leaves them alone. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't force himself on people, but neither does he stay where he's not welcome. And so Jesus does prepare to leave the region It seems to me, from the reading, the only person who's distraught at the possibility of Jesus leaving is the man who's been healed. It's now his turn to plead with Jesus. He pleads that he can go with Jesus. And surprisingly, this is the only request in that story that's denied. The demons plead with Jesus to be sent in as the pigs, and that's permitted. The townspeople plead with Jesus that he leave the region, and he's preparing to go. The man pleads with Jesus to go with him. It's the only request that's denied. I do have quite a lot of sympathy for this man. He's just been miraculously healed. His life has been transformed. Of course he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. He doesn't want to stay with the people who've treated him so badly. But Jesus says no. The reason he says no is because Jesus has a plan for his life. Jesus says Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. On the other side of the lake where Jesus has come from, Jesus has explicitly told people not to say anything about him. On the other side of the lake, there's a real risk that people will misunderstand who Jesus is and therefore impede his ministry. On this side of the lake, that's not a problem. This side of the lake, the man is explicitly commanded to go and tell others what God has done for him. Jesus wants others to know about this miracle. He wants others to know what he has done for this man. And what better person to tell them than this man himself? It's not a second-hand testimony, is it? It's a personal testimony that he can give. And he is to tell his own people. He's to tell his own family, those from his own village, Surely they're the ones who are going to rejoice the most and accept what he says. They're going to see the transformation in his life. I think it's interesting that this is the very first time that Jesus sends out anyone and he sends out a Gentile to go and tell the good news to other Gentiles. As a Gentile, I find that rather special, that this is the very first person to be sent out. The disciples haven't been sent out yet. This is the first man to be sent out. I'm sure the man would have preferred to be with Jesus. 
wouldn't he? He's the only man who's shown him acceptance and love. But Jesus knows he's about to leave. He's about to cross back over to the other side of the lake. He wants to leave this man behind to tell his story. No one else that side of the lake has a personal story to tell of Jesus. That's why the man has to stay. That's why the man's request is denied. Unfortunately, that's what the man does. We're told that the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. It's only at the very end of the story that we're told that the people are amazed. I think probably that's intentional by Mark. Previously they were afraid, but now they're amazed. As the man tells his personal story, people are amazed. Maybe the miracle itself and Jesus' presence was just too overwhelming. But this personal testimony they could relate to to some extent. And they were amazed. I think it is a fantastic story, isn't it? It demonstrates the power and authority of Jesus over all demonic forces, which is great. It demonstrates the power of Jesus to transform even the most wretched of lives and to turn them round. But I think it also demonstrates that that transformation is only the beginning of what Jesus wants to do with this man and with us. Jesus crossed the lake. He experienced a storm to save just one man. As soon as this man is saved, Jesus goes back to the other side. I think he would have saved this one man if he'd been the only one there. I'm sure he would have crossed the lake just to save this one man. But of course, he wasn't the only man on that side of the lake. There was many other people in that region that Jesus loved and wanted to hear the good news. He sends this man to tell them. I think that is the radically transformed life. Previously, this man was a terror and a threat to everyone around him. Now, he is God's means of blessing them with the good news. He wants to save people through this one man. As I've thought about this passage, I think it's very much an encouragement, but it's also a challenge. It's an encouragement because we see Jesus as he truly is. The miracles demonstrate Jesus as the Son of God. He has power over sickness, death, nature, demonic forces. The sick are healed, the dead are raised, storms are calmed, and demons flee at his word. That's a great reassurance, isn't it? And the miracles point towards the cross. The cross is where Jesus gains the ultimate victory. It's where sin, Satan, and death itself are destroyed. And he does that so that we will be restored to a right relationship with him. And the miracles also point forward to what we will experience when we're finally with Christ, when there will be no more suffering, pain and death. We will be fully restored then. I think those are very encouraging thoughts. But we know that we experience pain and suffering now. And we know that we're in a spiritual battle but that encouragement that the victory has already been won and one day it will be finally seen to be won. So it is an encouragement, but it is also a challenge. I think it's a challenge because Jesus sends us, doesn't he? Jesus crossed the lake, healed a man, and then went back. There's a picture there, isn't there? Jesus came, saved us, and now he's ascended into heaven. 
We have his Holy Spirit, but Jesus is no longer physically with us. But we are commanded to go and tell what God has done for us. I think we're both to tell what Jesus has done on the cross, but also what he does for us personally in our day-to-day lives. I think both are important. People need to hear the gospel, but they also need to hear how it affects us day by day. What effect does it have? And each of us has a story to tell about how God has worked in our lives. In the last few weeks, I've been helping at Alpha, and it's been really good. We've watched a couple of videos about drug dealers and uh, violent criminals whose lives have been turned around. And they're great testimonies to hear. But for me, the most powerful testimonies have come from the people in the group because they're personal testimonies that they've told. They're not as dramatic. They're not necessarily as exciting. But they're equally powerful, I think, because they're real people telling stories about how God has influenced them on a day-to-day basis. I think they're powerful exactly because they are personal. Our stories are powerful because they are personal. And we're commanded to tell others what God has done for us. Let me finish with one final thought. Jesus left the region at the request of the people. But in Mark's Gospel, we read later that he goes back to the same region. We wonder what's going to be the response this time. When he goes back, there's a more favourable response. People bring the sick to him to be healed, and they are healed. I can't help thinking that this is the man's testimony. This is what's the effect of what the man has gone and said. He's gone home and told people what Jesus has done for him. And when Jesus comes back, the people come to Jesus to be saved. What a fantastic picture, isn't it? As we go out and tell people the good news about what Jesus has done for us, Our prayer is that people will come to Jesus, find him himself, and be saved. That's the reason why Jesus is sending us out, so that others may be saved. Amen.